Well, good morning, and we're continuing in our Show Me series today. Uh, we've already talked about how to pray, show me how to pray. We've talked about show me how to run this race and stay in this Christian journey. Last week, we talked about show me how to forgive, and we talked about forgiveness. And today, we're dealing with the wonderful issue of marriage. And so the title of what we're going to talk about today is show me how to stay married. Not show me how to get married, that's pretty easy, but show me how to stay stay married. Let me tell you just a little bit about marriage. So marriage has been around since uh, the, since time began. Every civilization has had some kind of marriage. Actually, us as Christians, we believe that marriage started at the very beginning of the world when God created Adam. And the Bible says that he created Eve out of the side of Adam. And then the Bible says, because um, uh, because of this, a man will leave his mother and father and go and be one, one flesh with his wife. Now, marriage has been through every civilization. Every people group have some kind of marriage. And the reason is, throughout history, it's because they've wanted to procreate, wanted to create children, make children. They've uh, wanted to keep um, uh, to keep uh, bloodlines together. Uh, a lot of times people were married because of political or religious reasons. Uh, other times people were, were married to keep like land in the family um, and stuff like that. Years ago, people used to marry their cousins and stuff, and I wouldn't recommend that right now unless you want children with buck teeth. Um, but uh, that's what used to happen, and so marriage has been around for so long. The Greeks actually loved marriage, but they also loved divorce as well. So it was really easy in in, in ancient Greece to get married, but everybody was getting divorced as well. And then the Roman Empire came along. And when the Roman Empire came along, they were big on marriage. Marriage was one of their big things, but it was almost impossible to get a divorce in the Roman Empire. And when the Roman Empire was around, that's when the church came into existence. And so the church started um, uh, in this Roman Empire with the philosophies of the culture of the day that they believed in marriage, but they didn't believe in divorce. And so then it took the church 500 years to actually start doing wedding ceremonies in the church. Do you know that? So it wasn't like in the very beginning, wedding ceremonies weren't in the church, in the very early church. 500 years after Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, the church says, hey, this is a good idea. Why don't we just have some wedding ceremonies? I don't know if they just wanted the money or what. I don't know, but, but they thought it was a good idea. And then in the 12th century, the Roman Catholic Church decreed that marriage is a sacrament of the Christian faith. And so a sacrament is a sacred thing that, that you must partake in. Um, like communion and baptism. And so they decreed that, that marriage is this sacred thing between a man, a woman, and God. It was like this three-person thing. And so the Catholics believed that, and they still believe that today, the Roman Catholic Church. But in the 16th century, uh, the Protestant uh, Reformation came, and they said, well, hold on, that's kind of a little bit freaky that, you know, marriage is man, woman, and God. So we believe in the sanctity of marriage, but they came out and they said that marriage, they define marriage as a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman. And we believe that in, in this church, that is a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman. And then in the 18th century, 
two words came into existence that uh, one word that you probably, if you're, if you're old, you'll probably use, but if you're younger, then you probably haven't heard of or, uh, or you hear your grandparents talking about. It. But the other word you, you know about, and the two words were this, courtship and romance. Courtship and romance. Before that, that nobody knew what courtship or romance was. And for those younger people, courtship is this. It's basically a guy has his eye on the, on the girl, and he was like, hmm, maybe, you know, I want to get to know this girl a little bit more. So then he would approach their parents and then they would come together and they would have conversations together. And most of the time it would happen in the parents' house. This was like in the Victorian age. Um, Eventually, maybe marriage happened after that. But in the Victorian age, marriage didn't happen before a period of courtship. And then this whole thing about romance, that that, that marriage is all about romances, all this lovey-dovey stuff, that happened in the 18th century. And so that brings us to today. So courtship is now called dating. And guys rarely go to the, to the girl's parents to ask if they can date them. They just start dating them. And, and then the rest, all the other stuff happens. But marriage in the 21st century is now very different to how history has shown marriage to be. Because now in the 21st century, we have a whole lot of other issues about marriage. Now it is easy to get married. Did you know in the state of Maryland, you don't even need a minister to marry you? It's like your neighbor could marry you if you want in the state of Maryland. It's a little harder to get divorced. I don't understand that one. So it like takes a year of separation to get divorced in the state of Maryland. But in this culture, in the 21st century, it is easy to get married and it is easy to get divorced. And then we have some other issues that are going on. Now we have this whole same-sex marriage and what is really the definition of marriage. And then we have uh, lots of couples who live together as married couples before they actually get married. And so we have all these different issues now in the 21st century, and you even see TV shows now like Sister Wives and stuff like that, like, I mean, can we bring other people into our marriage? And it's all that freaky stuff and all that. So marriage is very different in the 21st century. So now in a world that is confused by what marriage is, this morning I want us to go back to God's definition of marriage and what the Bible actually says marriage is. And I hope that it will help us create healthy marriages. And in the marriages that we have, or if you are to get married, it will stop that D word, the divorce word, ever being part of your home. So what is a biblical definition of marriage? Well, let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. So in Genesis chapter 2, God has just created the world. He creates Adam. He creates Eve. And, and then he says, because of this, a man will leave his mother and father. So guys, if you get married, it's like wave bye-bye to mommy and daddy. It's like not always going back to mom's house for like some like, I don't know, meatloaf or something like that. It's like say bye to mom and dad. And it says they, the man will be joined to his woman and they will be one flesh. So let me just uh, just like define that for you. For those of you who are like, well, what does that mean, one flesh? Basically, 
It was reiterated in the law of Moses. So the Jewish, Jewish people believe this. Then Jesus came along and he said it again. A man and a woman, they, they, a man will leave his mother and father, being joined to his woman, and they will become one flesh. And even the apostle Paul in the early church reiterated it. See, in our culture, we believe that marriage starts at a marriage ceremony. But the marriage ceremony in our Christian culture only started in 500 A.D. Actually, in Genesis, the Bible shows us that marriage begins at intercourse. Marriage begins when two lives become one. We call that sex. That's when marriage begins in the biblical definition. Have you ever heard of the word, hey, getting biblical? Yeah, it's okay. We're all adults here. Well, that's, that's basically it. It's when man and woman come together in this act of intercourse. And so that is what the Bible teaches. And the moment that sex happens is the moment that your body becomes one with another body. Two people, two individuals, and they become one flesh. Our culture says this. Our culture says, try before you buy. Have you heard that? Heard people say, hey, you've got to try before you buy. Our culture says, well, have a little sample to see if you like it. See if you, you know, you want to go any further. Like, like it's like you go up to Amish country and you go into the, some of those stores and they got like, like they got pickles and beets and you take a sample. If you like it, you buy it. And that's why like our, our culture says, try before you buy. Take a little sample. But the reality is there's no such thing when it comes to marriage. There's no returns. There's no little sampling at all. Because what happens is the moment that you come together as one with another person, there is this thing called marriage or this thing where two lives come together as one flesh. See, it's at the moment of sex that marriage actually begins. And we've warped this because we believe it's when you stand before a minister or a judge, or if you believe in another religion, an inam, or you know some priest or something, and they come and you, you say some vows and you say, I do, and we think marriage begins then. But actually marriage doesn't begin then, because you are becoming one with one person when you have sex with that person. See, I've seen so many couples who have gone through so much in their lives, and especially couples who are dating. And everything will be wonderful for six months. Wonderful for six months. And then they'll come to me one day and they're like, Alex, you know, my relationship just, I don't know what happened. It's like something just flipped and changed in, 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 in a moment. And we had this wonderful, we were dating, everything was great. And now we're just having problem after problem after problem. And this is why I always ask them, I was like, do you guys have sex? And they're like, what, 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 no, no. You know, and, and they're, they're all like, like, no, 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 no. I'm like, come on, guys, be honest. I'm not going to condemn you. Did you have sex? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, that was your problem right there. See, here at Generation Church, and I'm just going to give an official stance of Generation Church. You may believe it or not, but this is what we believe. We believe that sex before marriage is wrong. Sex before our, our, our culture's definition of marriage is wrong. And this is why. Because when you come together and have sex with someone, you are now at one with that person. 
Now, if you were to have sex before marriage, before you've actually, you, you've actually partaken in a marriage ceremony in that bedroom or the backseat of a car or whatever, you've taken together in a marriage ceremony before you've actually asked the blessing of God upon your marriage. And this is what I believe, and I've seen it so many times. I don't have a Bible verse for it, but I've seen it so many times. When you have sex before you ask God's blessing upon your marriage, it's like God's hand of blessing comes off you. And I've seen it so many times that couples who have, who have uh, got this wonderful relationship and they just couldn't keep themselves until their wedding night, until they'd asked God to actually bless their marriage, that they had had sex, and it's like suddenly everything went wrong. But our culture doesn't believe that. But yet that's the reality. And the problem for so many people is now we live in a culture where many people have many sexual partners. And so it's not just like you find the person of your dreams and you get married in three months and now you have sex. Now it's that we believe or in this culture, like you can have many sexual partners. Well, the problem with having many sexual partners is that the moment that you actually find that person who you want to spend the rest of your life with, then you come together and you actually have intercourse, and you become at one, you cannot fully give all of yourself to that person. The most wonderful gift that anybody can give their spouse is all of them on their wedding night. All of them. And the reality is, is when we have lots of sexual partners, and when we have sex before marriage, it comes to our wedding night and we cannot give that gift to our bride or our groom. And the reality is, is you may call me archaic or you may call me old-fashioned or you're in the 19th century, but the reality is, is when you ask God's blessing upon your marriage and then you consummate that marriage, God's hand of blessing stays on that marriage. Now, for those of you this morning, I'm not going to condemn you. And if you have, like, uh, had sex before marriage, if you got married and, and, and you weren't a virgin at the time, then it doesn't mean that God's hand is continually off your life. You can come in repentance to God, and, and you can ask God to come and repair what you have damaged. You can ask God to make you pure once again. I believe that God is a loving, forgiving God, and, and He can do that. But the biblical definition of marriage... From the very beginning of this time, or of the very beginning of this world, was the moment when two lives come together in an act of intercourse. So you may say, okay, Alex, now we know what the definition of marriage is, uh, and now we've got married, then how do I stay married? How do I stay married? Well, we're going to look at a book in the Bible or a couple of chapters of a book called Ephesians. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible is full of different ways that we can help uh, or, or we, we, we can use wisdom to help us stay married, to help us in our marriages. But uh, I believe that what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians is probably the clearest way of, uh, of finding out what we can do to stay married. Now, just to give you a little background, many people, what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, many people have called Paul a sexist. 
Actually, feminists hate the Apostle Paul. I heard one girl once say, he is such a sexist. He, like, I don't listen to any of the words that, Paul, that the Apostle Paul says because he is such a sexist. And lots of people have taken out of context exactly what Paul has said. And lots of guys have said, look, this is how it should be. Lots of women saying, well, it's not fair. Paul was sexist. But they've taken out of context so much what Paul has said. And I think if we just follow what Paul says here, our marriages will be healthy marriages. And our relationships will be healthy relationships. So if you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 21. I want to give you the first way of staying married, creating a healthy marriage. Ephesians 5 verse 21, it says this, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The very first way or the best way for you to be able to stay married and create a healthy marriage is this. Mutual submission. Mutual submission. And I'll tag that along with you are partners. You are partners in this thing we call marriage. You see, when God created Eve out of the side of Adam, the Bible tells us this. God says, Adam, I am making for you a helper. A helper. See, Adam had two jobs. First job was to take care of the garden. Garden. He was a gardener, take care of, you know, uh, of tilling the ground and making sure that, that things grew as they, sit, that they should, things were pruned as, as they should. And then he also had a second job, and that was to name all the an- animals. But it was too much for one guy. So God said to Adam, I'm making for you a helper. So this is what ha- has happened. We've, we've looked at women and thought, well, you'll just help us. You're just someone to help me. And this is what has happened for centuries. Man has looked at women as a lesser sex, as a weaker sex. And we've looked at women and said, well, you're just a helper to help me. Help me to have children. Help me to, to, to feed my body. Help me to stay clean. You know, I mean, help me to, you know, to eat chips. I don't know. That's what we've taken women as. Because she was a helper. But if you take a real translation of what God actually said, he didn't say really like helper, like housemaid. This is what God says. I'm making for you a partner. A partner. See, if couples actually treated each other as partners, instead of one lesser, one, 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 one weaker, one stronger... I, I honestly think that about 25% of divorces wouldn't, happen, wouldn't take place. If we treated each other as partners. See, mutual submission is this. The husband wakes up every morning and he says, I'm going to make it my goal to put my wife first. After God, I'm going to put my wife first. And then the wife wakes up and she says, oh, isn't it a wonderful day? After putting God first, I'm going to make it my goal to put my husband first. So each wives and husbands are putting them each other first. So before I think about my own needs, I'm thinking about my wife's needs. Or my wife is, instead of thinking about her needs, she's thinking about her husband's needs. And if that happened, there would never be a divorce. 
There would never be a breakup of marriage. We would have healthy, perfect marriages because all our needs would be met. And we would never feel that somebody else is, is giving more to the marriage than the other. But the reality is this only really happens in like Disney movies, right? Happily ever after. That's, that's what we think because it rarely happens. See, in my marriage to, to my wife Raquel, when we have issues, and we're not saints, we have issues. All marriages have issues. When we have issues, this is what normally what happens is I'm trying to play her role and she's trying to play my role. I'm trying to do the things that she is supposed to do, and she's trying to do the things that I'm supposed to do. And that's really the cause of all our arguments in our marriage, all the issues that we may have in our marriage. And so what I want to show you, I want to show you what our roles are. And, and it's not like, well, your role is taking out the trash. Your role is to do the yard. My role is to clean the bathrooms. And your role is to... to to, to vacuum. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, in the role of a wife and the role of a husband in a biblical, godly context. So the first way that we stay married is mutual submission, understanding that we are partners in this thing and we both bring equally to this marriage. But the second way that we stay married is through female submission. This is where it's like all the women are like, Argh. Female submission, and this is what I mean. Trust your man. Trust your man. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 24. And this is where like, the feminists hate it because they just read this and they don't read the rest of the, of the, of the, uh, of the chapter. Paul says, for wives, this means after submitting to one another, this is after being a partner in this whole thing, it says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is head of his wife, as Christ is head of the church. He is the savior of, uh, is the savior of his body, the church, as the church submits to Christ. So you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. So in Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve had been created, Eve was the partner to Adam, and they were to keep the garden. One day, this slippery serpent came along, and he deceived Eve, and he says, if you eat of the apple of the forbidden tree that God had said, do not eat from, then you will have like knowledge like God. You will become like God. So Eve comes over and says, Adam, come here, check this out. Let's eat of this. So they both eat of the apple. I really don't know who ate the apple first, and so we're not going to go into all that, but say they just both like like in an act of love like edit together you know and so and so they ate of this of this forbidden fruit and suddenly they'd sinned for the first time and god came and gave this curse upon them and the curse was that they would die otherwise they would live forever and God says, this, because you have sinned against God, because of you've eaten of the, 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 the forbidden fruit, then this is the curse. And this is what God says to the woman. He says, firstly, you will have labor pains. So ladies, when you're going to labor, and boy, it looks like it hurts. Just glad I'm not a girl. When you have that monthly visitor, don't blame the guy. Don't blame your man. It's not the man's fault. It's Eve's fault. So blame her. So when you're having a baby and you're hating, you're like, I hate you, I hate you. It's actually Eve that you're hating, really. So that's the first thing. So that's just like, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you have to put up with that. 
But the second thing of the curse was this. You will have labor pains, but also you will, God said this too, you will try to control man, but man will rule over you. You will try to control man, but man will rule over you. See, the day that they sinned against God was the day that this partnership got all weird. They all started trying to fight for possession. See, the woman wanted to take control, but then the man come and came and stole control from her and started to rule over her. Control. And so Paul comes to Ephesians and he sees this happening. See, what was happening, a lot of the women were, 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 were kind of speaking out of place and they were trying to really take control of the church. And so Paul says this. He says, okay, let's go back to how it originally should have been. And, and to sort all this out, Paul says, wives, you are to submit to your husbands as we submit to Christ. As the church submits to Christ. So what does this mean? How do we submit to the Lord? Well, this is how we submit to the Lord. We believe in God. We believe in Jesus. We trust in Jesus. We listen to Jesus. We put Jesus first in all things. We, we, we believe that Jesus is all of our lives. And that is how, ladies, you are to treat your husbands. Put him first. Trust in your husband, even though he may be a nasty, nasty guy. Trust in your husband. Listen to your husband. Believe in your husband. Put your husband first in all things. You know, the greatest thing a woman can do for a man is this. Trust him. It's not to buy him all the toys in the world. Not to buy him a bunch of video games and say, yeah, you go down to your man cave and spend a week in your man cave. Do what you want. Go, you know, do whatever you want. I'll take care of everything else. That's not the greatest thing that you can do for your man. The greatest thing that a wife can do for her husband is to trust him. See, guys have this bad habit, more than women, even though it's increasing in women, that we kind of sometimes, through history, have played away and cheated on our wives. And this is the reason why. Because so often, some woman will come and flirt with a guy. She probably doesn't even know that she's doing it half the time. And she will look at him. And she will say nice things to him. And it doesn't happen immediately, but then she starts building him up to a point that his eyes turn away from his wife onto this other woman. See, guys are proud. They're egotistic. And so if you feed the ego of a guy, eventually you're going to win the heart of that guy. And women, I'm not telling you wives, I'm not saying that you should feed an ego because you should calm his ego down because at times his ego needs to be calmed down. But what I'm saying is that you need to be his biggest supporter. Not some other woman, but you should be his biggest supporter because otherwise someone else will come along and win his heart. See, men don't, like, don't mind women taking the reins. Actually, I like it when women take the reins. You really are the better sex. You know better than we do. So much more in, in other things. I'm like, Raquel, you can just do, yeah, I'll follow you. That's fine. 
We don't mind that, but what we do mind is that when a woman belittles a man. See, wives, some of the quickest ways that you can ruin your marriage is to make your man feel dumb and stupid. It's to make your man feel like he's inferior to other people. Wives, you should be the biggest supporter of your man. And if you look at him as we look at Christ as a church, then you will win his heart day after day. If you treat him with disrespect, then he's just going to go into his cave. He's going to go into himself and you may, be, you may never be able to access his heart. If you show him that you trust him, he will open his heart to you. That's submitting to your husband. So then, guys, what, what do we have to do? So we've got mutual submission. We're partners. We've got female submission that trust your man. But then we've got male submission, and this is male submission. Love more than you can possibly love. Love more than you can possibly love. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 25 to 33 says this. For husbands, this means love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates their own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And he says this, this is such a great mystery. But it it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The problem for many men is they view women as a weaker sex. Even in churches, we like praise guys who are all authoritative. And we look down on guys who let women take the lead. Because of this, because of the curses that we will rule over women. When men rule over women, that is the curse in action. It's not guys acting in the ways that God God wants guys to act. See, in any partnership, whether you've got a business partnership or a relationship, there's always one person who has to be the final decision maker. And this is what Paul says to the Ephesians. He says, okay, the guy is going to be the one. Because you're sinful people and you can't agree on everything, the husband is the one who's going to be the final decision maker. God has placed that position in the, in the hands of husbands. It doesn't mean that they go around lording over, woman, do this, submit to me. I, I, I'm the boss of this house. That isn't what God is saying. God is saying that you come together as partners in mutual submission. And if there is a decision that you cannot agree on, then the husband is the final decision maker. And because the husband is the final decision maker, he has a role to play and he has duties to commit to. And this is what the husband should do. Love your wife as Christ loves the church. Love your wife as Christ loves the church. Think about this for a moment. You are to love your wife in a way that you possibly can't even love her. 
Christ loves the church more than you could ever love another human being. Your role, husbands, I mean, I say it because I'm a guy, but I think it's the hardest role of all. Because you are to love your wife as Christ loves the church. Let's think about how Christ loves the church. Christ died for the church. Christ trusted the church. Christ worked through the church. He stood by the church. He comforted the church. Christ resourced the church. He provided for the church. He stayed close to the church. Christ has never neglected the church. Christ has forgiven the church. Christ has been there throughout the centuries for the church. Christ never looked at something else and thought that was better and went to that. No, Christ stayed with the church. And you know what the church did? back to Christ? If you go through the centuries, the church at one time tried to deny the deity of Christ. Another time, the the church came and they started to elevate man above Christ. Uh, Even at one point, back in the fourth century, they took Christ's mother and they put Christ's mother on the same level as Christ. The church has done so many things that are wrong in the name of Christ. They went to the Middle East and they started killing all these Muslims in the name of Christ. The church throughout the centuries, they started to bring in pagan rituals in their worship to Christ because Christ wasn't enough for them. Then we see that the church embraced slavery when everybody knew slavery was so wrong. We, we, we see throughout the centuries that, 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 that the church twisted doctrine and twisted the words of Jesus Christ so that they could get their own way. They at times became more of a political organization than a community of faith. They fought against each other. The church used money uh, to, 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 to build big buildings when people in their community were starving. That wasn't in the name of Christ, but they said it was. The church throughout the centuries stopped parishioners having Bibles so their priests and their preachers could twist the truth. The church throughout the centuries talked more about money than about loving one another and forgiving one another. And you know what Christ did? Christ stood by the church. When the church cheated on Christ, Christ stood by the church. And husbands, and I'll be very honest with you this morning, it is not your place to leave your wife. It's your place to love your church. Christ loves the church so passionately. And I'll be honest, guys, we need to find ways to love our wives a little bit more than what we're doing. We need to increase our passion for her. I'm not talking about our sexual attraction because that's natural for guys. But I'm talking our passion for her heart and her soul. See, if we treated the wives that we tr- uh, in the same way we treated our own bodies and we fed our own bodies, then we would have healthy, joyful marriages. See, you can go to as many marital counseling sessions as you like. You can read all the books in the library. You can have as many date nights as possible. You can have an active sex life even into you're like 85. It's pretty gross. But you know what? That isn't the answer. 
The simple way to be, found, to be joyful and to stay married is found in one word. And that's selflessness. Selflessness. If you want to be married as God intends you to be married, you need to be selflessness. And you need to submit to one another. If we woke up every morning with one goal, and that was our, to make our wife happy, then we would never have an issue in our marriages. If both came together and did it. And some of you single people, you're like, well, I'm not married. This doesn't apply to me. It does apply to you because one day you will be married. Or, or, or you may be married and this will apply to you. One day you may be in a relationship and, and someone may ask, well, let's take this a little further. And you will know what constitutes a healthy biblical marriage. For marriage is not about romance or passion, even though it has important elements. But marriage is about a covenant, a commitment to give your life away to the other person. And it's a covenant for eternity. And if wives, we trust our husbands. And husbands, if we just love our wives as Christ loves the church, there would never be an issue again. I don't care what Dr. Phil says. I don't care what Oprah used to say. I don't care what all the books in the Bible say or books in the world says. I don't care if there's five love languages and mine's different to yours. That isn't the solution. The solution is found in mutual submission, submitting as we would to Christ, loving as Christ loves the church. And that will result in a happy marriage. Let's bow our heads in prayer.